Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. On this week's episode, we're looking away from general practice in the UK and focusing on Ukraine. Our senior reporter, Luke Haynes, is speaking with Dr. Pavlo Kolesnik, a GP and educator in Uzhgorod, a city in the west of Ukraine. Luke talks to Dr. Kolesnik about the impact the Russian invasion has had on his city, including the arrival of hundreds of thousands of refugees from the east, and how family doctors in Ukraine are maintaining primary care services as the country continues to come under attack. The conversation is a real insight into what it's like to be a GP during a time of war. Before I hand over to Luke, I'd just like to highlight that we've put some links to organisations raising funds and other donations to help medical efforts in Ukraine in the description for this episode of the podcast. Today, we're very fortunate to be joined over Zoom by Ukrainian family doctor and medical educator, Dr. Pavlo Kolesnik, who lives and works in the city of Uzhgorod, which is on the west coast of Ukraine. The area is somewhat of a safe zone, sharing a border with Slovakia and Hungary, um, so two EU states. And it's become a hub for those looking for safety um, with people renting accommodation or going into hotels or using it as a stop before they go on to other other destinations as well as being a gp dr kolesnik represents a number of european medical societies and he also works at uzgorod national university thank you for making some time to talk to us today dr kolesnik would you like to start off the podcast by telling us a little bit about yourself and how general practice or family medicine works in ukraine I'm a family doctor with 25 years of experience. So I was the pioneer of family medicine in our region because in 1998, uh, I started to work and that was the first year of family medicine in Ukraine. So uh, I became a teacher of family medicine, uh, so trainer, like a supervisor of family medicine residency. And also I became a physician, practical physician. So we don't work in the hospitals, we work in the outpatient clinics. So these are clinics uh, for... Uh, we call the population from zero to zero. So from a very early childhood till the most senior age. Uh, we provide medical care in the way as they do in, in many uh, different countries. So, and we were taught by the under the umbrella of Sister City um, Association uh, with Corvallis, uh, Oregon, US, and, and Uzgorod, Ukraine. So we uh, had a training of the trainers and we provided a bit similar to the system of primary medical care in US. Just in terms of the situation at, at the minute, um, so in these outpatient clinics, are they still open across Ukraine? How has the service been affected? Uh, so uh, here we live in the last point of, of western point of Ukraine, and uh, this is the place which is bordering with uh, with Hungary and uh, Slovakia. So. Uh, Main main refugee streams uh, go through our city, and uh, major part uh, remains here. But part of them uh, go abroad and uh, are settled around in different countries of Europe. Um, we provide our medical care in the usual way, but we have doubled population right now. So, uh, and we have to take care of of the new population with the new requests actually, because as I realized that, for example, some people came from the uh, s- uh, central Ukraine, and they have a lot of problems with thyroid because of the close uh, connection with Chernobyl zone, and uh, many of them have this uh, hypothyroidism and you know these thyroid problems. That's why 
they need some some drugs which we don't have high re request here and now we see that there is a high demand on this kind of problems and uh, very very lack of uh, medications so uh, we try to balance between the needs of our local population and the needs of the guests or refugees from the east and from central Ukraine. And that's within the outpatient centres, right? Yep. And also within the shelters, because uh, you understand that our clinics now are over busy with new people coming uh, here. That's why we provide our medical care there, but also we added some, some medical points, which we call medical points. Actually, they are not clinics, just, just points in the refugee centers. And one point is, uh, is organized in the municipal um, a specific place, which is called uh, Oval's Nest. So it is like a municipal winery, uh, which is uh, used for, for festivals usually, but now uh, it's uh, uh, storage for the secondhand things and uh, humanitarian goods and also for the medical medical service there how do you distribute staff to shelters is it on like a rotor system so uh, you know in shelters we have uh, we have duties of residents so usually residents are not responsible personally for the population here they are usually um, observers of our work so this is the typical residency training unfortunately uh, i don't like the system but we couldn't change it much so i mean usually they are not they are passive observers so they see how we work, work as practical physicians and they just observe so like uh, one of my uh, uh, british british friends uh, who is a doctor she said that it is a system which is called fly on the wall so sitting and observing <laughs> so so but i suppose this is not the, the very practical way to teach them and now they have an opportunity to learn it in practice having the responsible real responsibility so uh, we distributed them to all shelters now we have over 15 maybe more we don't know exactly how many because some of them are spontaneously opened so these shelters are being opened all over the city and in each shelter we try to put one resident who will be responsible for this local small community of the shelter he is the first medical doctor who will take care of the of the patient who will recommend some medications and if they have some medications provide the patient with the medication or they could send uh, the patient to the owl's nest for the medical some supply there or they could also refer them to the uh, family medicine clinic which is close to this that place of their shelter so i suppose it's it can be called the system of gatekeepers so our residents now are in the role of gatekeepers dealing with the easy problems refer and referring uh, to the other clinics or to the uh, to the hospitals if needed uh, when uh, when they see this need how are you coping with uh, the increased population and and the variety of problems i mean we try to cope with the number of patients and uh, now we we deal with this but with this problem but the main problem is uh, lack of medications for them you know the system of 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 delivery of, of some pharmaceutical uh, medications they the it is a bit broken here because of war. So import is not uh, being provided in a proper way. I mean, we have lack of some special groups of medications right now. And I mean, if if I see the patient, if I know what to prescribe, I prescribe, but he won't get it in the in the pharmacy. And the other thing is poverty. So uh, people came here sometimes without money. Uh, they came here without uh, uh, access to their salaries or so no salaries, no working places you know people come uh, in the 
you know, in, in, in between, uh, and they are a bit, a bit uh, afraid of, of spending money. So they, they prefer not to spend money for, for the medications, which are really needed. For example, can you imagine the patient with hypertension, uh, which refuses to take antihypertensive drugs because she, he or she is aware of uh, lack of money for, for food in, in coming days? That's why we try to balance between providing their needs and we really need more money, more not donations to, to buy some extra medications to provide them for free because we give a lot now, but it is not enough. Are you worried for patients that are either can't afford a medicine or can't access medicines? Yes, I'm worried. Uh, I'm worried about uh, diabetics because uh, last week we had a deficit a really very big uh, problem with with insulin. Can you imagine diabetes without insulin? Uh, antihypertensive drugs now it's more or less stable, so we can ex- access them. So not the the drugs they used they are used to, but at least uh, generics or some some similar drugs. For example, uh, this hypothyroidism, which is very very big problem right now in our region. So request is huge, but the distribution is very very. Uh, for example, I know that they imported a big, big track of of hypo uh, sorry, of these thyroid hormones, but it went to the east and to central part where there is burning need of them. I understand it. People have absolutely lack of access to the medication, but also we have people uh, who came also here and they are also lacking of that. And so we try to cover the expenses from our small uh, donations, from our small grants, but uh, it's not enough. But we are lucky to have borders and uh, we have, you know, personal transportation, personal shipments, like shuttling of the volunteers, bringing some amount of bags, uh, boxes with, with medications. And in terms of the increased number of patients, do you know how many refugees you've seen or you're dealing with? Do you have a number on it? I can't, can't say. For example, in my clinic, I work in the private clinic. Uh, there I see um, maybe one third of my patients are refugees now. But I understand that uh, mainly highly income, income patients would come to the private clinic because they need to pay. So we give them discount, definitely, but they have to pay for the, you know, for the, for the clinic, uh, clinic service. Uh, other people who are for, for, of, of the low-income groups, they come directly to the Owl's Nest asking for medications, even sometimes without medical examination. Uh, this is right, not right, and I suppose we have to change the system. We have to provide free service, uh, also held by, by residents, uh, in the Owl's Nest and also on, in the points, and then we could we could know their needs. And also we, we started the uh, new system of uh, Google Form, which the doctor or resident has to fill in with a request for this or that patient with his phone number. And then we could find the number of medications which are needed for chronic patients. We could buy certain amount of them and we could distribute them. So at least it could be some structurized system of, of delivery. And are your family doctors, are they working extra hours to, to see all, all of these patients? I bet they do. Actually, I can say that uh, my working day is maybe twice longer than it used to be. And it's not only because of personal seeing patients, but also organization of this delivery, also the shipment. I bet many of, of our doctors uh, uh, do the same. And uh, those who are not 
key roles as a, as a manager, uh, they uh, come to the O's nest or to, to the um, shelters to help there. So, I mean, they double their working hours for free because they, they work as volunteers there. How are staff responding to the challenge in, in terms of, um, is it quite emotionally draining? Absolutely, absolutely. You are right, and uh, that's what we feel. That's what we see, this burnout, uh, hoping for good future, but understanding that, you know, it's exhausting. Every day is exhausting, and, you know, this uh, alarms every night, every morning, every day, which breaks your, your day or night. For example, this sirens ringing uh, at night. So today, for example, we had uh, early morning wake up because of the sirens. A few days ago, I had it just in the in the middle of my working day. So where to go with my patients to break my working day? So patients are waiting. And at night, nights are unbearable. You know, you have, hear this sound and uh, you have to go somewhere down to the bunker, to, to, to the shelter of somewhere. And, you know, your night is gone. And, you know, this is leading to the very huge burnout of our, our, our staff. I suppose... Um, we need to we need to get some some impact, but um, very few of it we, we have. So, for example, uh, two days ago, I just went to my uh, cottage house for gardening, and it was perfect day off for me just to to fresh my brain and to just to to format my my thoughts. But usual week, it's, it's really very exhausting. And a couple of weeks ago at a Wonka conference, you mentioned that trainee doctors um, or residents, as you call them, working in shelters were taking part in lullabies to aid their support. Can you explain this? Uh, we call our meeting with residents. It, these are just meeting with residents. So the staff of their shelters, I mean, uh, we call them lullabies to, because uh, from the first days I realized that uh, they are, I mean, residents could feel a bit helpless with their lack of practical experience. So we we have this Google meeting uh, with the residents, which are free to access, which are free, and usually they are crowded. So people want to meet each other, understood that it has, they have d- double meaning, uh, d- double uh, double uh, purpose. Uh, first, uh, this is union of, of people, so uniting people and supports. Uh, they feel psychologically support, so they feel united, which is very good to, to feel yourself as a part of the team. So, uh, the second meaning is just it was just to suppress their psychological uh, drain or psychological over uh, they burn out because you know w- that's why it's lullaby because you know you always calm down your baby when he is or she is going to sleep. So, I mean, uh, here we had also the same purpose. So we are together, we are with you, don't worry, and everything will be okay. So this that was the second meaning. And now we have a very good, very high interest of our colleagues from Europe who, who suggested their help in lullaby sessions and also in keynote lectures for every week uh, for our teaching sessions. And that's a perfect opportunity for our residents, not only residents, but also our doctors, because it could uh, supplement our continual medical education for them. You know, can you imagine no conferences, no doctors meetings, nothing at all during this time? And we don't know how long will will it be. One thing I forgot to ask about was was obviously COVID. How is the situation over there? Is is it tricky having to practice while a pandemic is happening and you've got the the war? (laughs) 
Yes, good question. You know, uh, it seems, you know, we had a joke here. Let's talk about some fun. Let's talk about COVID pandemic situation, you know, uh, instead of war. So actually, so COVID doesn't seem very scary right now during this uh, situation with, with the war. So actually, people forgot about masks. They forgot about hygiene. They forgot about, you know, uh, I had several patients a few days ago. They said that they didn't have enough uh, opportunities to take a shower, uh, you know, and they they. You know, it's it's impossible to think. For example, you could imagine that it is a gym with 50 people lying on the floor in the shelter where they just have a mattress and pillow and, you know, all together, living all together. So no ventilation, nothing like that. You know, we don't think about masks anymore. Or for example, being together in the bunker or in the shelter when it's uh, uh, the risk of bombing or it's the risk of, of you know, the siren is ringing. So... You know, people don't care about masks anymore or don't care about about COVID anymore. But we are aware of pandemic uh, risks and we are aware of the splashes of COVID in in the shelters. And it happened, really. We had several tests, the free tests for COVID to make uh, for our patients in the shelters. And we realized that that was COVID. Meanwhile, we have not too many of them. We try to isolate them if possible, but I am really uh, worried to, to think about uh, about real, real huge splash of, of COVID, for example, among chronically ill patients and, you know, about the, ex- and, uh, the excess and need in hospital care. But if it happens, we could overload our hospitals with COVID and uh, what will happen with other, other uh, needs and purposes. So uh, I, I prefer not to think about it, but really it is a very high danger. We did our best. I was one of the leaders of the vaccination process in my region. We tried to increase, we taught our uh, vaccinators how to do this, how to increase the awareness of the population. But still the vaccination rate was very, very low. And now we have a huge stream from the, from the other regions, which I bet are uh, also very, very low uh, uh, vaccination, low, low, low level of vaccination uh, from there. So I, I suppose uh, these are very risky, risky groups for us to, to cope with. And I, I actually, I don't have a, a, an answer to this question. And actually, I'm really afraid of, of thinking ahead. What help do you family doctors need at the minute? So definitely, uh, we need medication. Uh, I wish we could, we could increase their salary. We could increase to we could support them to, which definitely could could save them from burnout. But uh, we understand the needs of the of the state of the of the uh, army right now. That's why uh, we have our salary decreased, not increased. For example, as a teacher of foreign students. Uh, of, on our medical faculty, number two, I was informed that our salary will be twice less this month, despite of our regular duties. So we will have our regular uh, classes with foreign students online, uh, but uh, for the lower price. So uh, salary, medication access, maybe this teaching access to, to for teaching, maybe this keynote lecture from you. Europe, they could be very, very, very interesting, and and uh, they could also support them somehow. And I suppose also uh, donations will will help us very much because when you know when I had 
the first week of, of uh, announcement of these donations. So we had a lot of donations. The second week, it was less. Last week, I didn't get any. I spent every day, but <laughs> our income is less and less. How are, how are you? How is your family? Are you, are you sort of okay? Is, is there a Russian presence in your town or? No, no, for God's sake, no. And hopefully they won't come here. So, you know, uh, which is, this is a very, very nice location of my town. So the last point of Ukraine from the Western part. So uh, first of all, very close location to the, to the NATO countries. You know, for them, it would be very, very hard to bomb this area. So, but God knows, they are crazy sometimes. So the second thing, uh, we are surrounded by the chain of mountains, uh, Carpathian mountains, which like is, which are the start of Tatris and so, you know. So, and uh, it's not so easy to come here, you know, with tanks and troops, you know, uh, we have a very, very, very small, small um, road to go through the chain of this mountain. And uh, we hope for the best. But, you know, when you have this sirens ringing all the time, every every second, second day, you think maybe this time it could be not, not uh, you know, so easy. Uh, it could be because when they are, they, there is alarm, they said that when the racket is coming from, from, from Belarus or from Russia, uh, it comes to the certain direction. That's why in each region of Ukraine, we have the alarm. So people have to get to the to the shelters or to the bunkers, uh, but because we don't know where the racket will, will fall down. And, you know, all regions are, are blocked, uh, paralyzed for that time. Uh, so uh, fortunately, we didn't get the racket uh, here uh, meanwhile, and we hope we won't. But, uh, you know, every time it's, it's exhausting thoughts, thoughts that, that it will happen now. It now we could hear this sound of bombing. You know, we have uh, eleven people of my uh, in my house, in my household, in my apartment right now. So eleven people. Uh, some of my my relatives from from Kiev. Some are their friends. You know, we share the community. Uh, so the the apartment. It's not easy, you know. I understand to have four families all together living all together in one one apartment. So we don't complain, but you know, when you come from the uh, busy day and your house is full, uh, it's not very very relaxing. So, but uh, you know, uh, spring is coming. Uh, it's a good weather, so we can walk around, and you know, I have uh, my garden to relax so some some possibilities to get some resource <laughs> yeah yeah you have to have to take the small small things in in life yeah i will i will appreciate thank you again for joining us on the podcast um keep safe and good good luck with everything thank you very much that's it for this week thanks so much to luke and to dr kolesnik for finding the time to speak to him We'll be back next week with our fortnightly news review. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the latest news affecting general practice by visiting our website at gponline.com.